Welcome to another installment for Rumination 18. This is Parsha Mishpatin, and we're continuing with the Rashi insight from Shemot 21.6, going into Or HaKaim, and also from Strack and Bilderbeck. Take it away, Shlomo. Welcome once again. And we hope you find this episode uplifting. And may you be blessed. Amen. So, again, this is Rashi on Shemot 21.6. And he's talking about this servant who loves his master so much that he chooses to stay with his master for the rest of his life. So Rashi begins by saying to the judges, according to that part of the verse, to the court, and footnote 7 says the word can also mean to God, and then see Rashi to 20, verse 1, above. So to the court can also mean to God? Yes. That Beautiful. is the footnote. Beautiful. Which is master, what is called Elohim. Sorry. Just to mention that little note, the, the court is called Elohim. Sometimes you'll find that. Absolutely. Thank you. The master must consult with his sellers who sold the servant to him. And note eight, the Makilta, as Rashi mentioned above on verse two, this passage, passage discusses a servant who has been sold by the court because he could not repay what he had stolen. To the door or to the doorpost, one could think on the basis of this verse that the doorpost is a valid place upon which to bore the servant's ear. Footnote 9. Deuteronomy 15, 17, that verse describes in greater detail the process alluded to here. Beautiful. To teach us otherwise, the Torah says, and you will put, in brackets, the all into his ear and into the door. Into the door, but not into the doorpost. Why then does the Torah say here, or to the doorpost? It compared a door to a doorpost, just as the doorpost stands upright. Footnote one, otherwise it would be called a beam, not a doorpost. Rashi to Kiddushin 22b. Interesting. The door could be the door post, and the door post would be a beam. And a verse just popped in my head, Mark 6, 3. Is this not the carpenter? Right. And there's a reference in Mikute Mohoran 11, 5, where Rabbi Nachman explains that God is the carpenter. Mm -hmm. 
so that was footnote one. And so the door into which the boring is done must stand upright. Footnote two, Mekilta to Kiddushin 22b, the Talmud states that this disqualifies a door that has been removed from its hinges. Now, just to explain about the Mekilta is a set of Jewish law that is binding on every Jew. While other, uh, like the Kitzur Sokhan Aruch, are not quite as binding as the Mekilta is. Really? Okay. Yes. Um, you see posts came down through the centuries or the millennia that have quoted other post scheme, like uh, Rav Ovadiah Yosef, whose halakhic rulings are very well known. He even has a three-volume set on Shabbat, on just that alone, where his opinions are regarded as the go-to opinions on halakhic matters in our present day. Well, there's a few of them. There is uh, the Makilta of Rabbi Ishmael, the Makilta of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, and Makilta Le Sefer Devarim. So it's interesting because, like you said, it's a compilation of scriptural exegetes uh, in Judaism. And it's uh, it's got halakha in it. And so it says, Makilta is an Aramaic word corresponding to the Hebrew midah, meaning a measure or a rule. In this case, referring to certain fixed rules. So that's pretty cool. And it's a halakhic midrash on the book of Shemot. That incorporates a Gothic material as well, compiled around the third century. So there's that. <laughs> About the time of uh, Judah Hanassi. Mm -hmm. Okay, continuing. And his master shall bore through his ear, the right ear, and ear is in brackets. Or perhaps this is incorrect, and the verse means only to include the left ear as well. Note three, Rashi could not mean the left ear only, for there is no logical reason to assume that the verse means only the left. Rather, Rashi means that left would also be valid, as well as the right. Amara Neke. To teach us otherwise, the Torah says the word ozen in two places for a Gezerah Shabbat. As follows, footnote four, literally identical cutting. Kale ha-gamara, a method of applying information stated explicitly in one verse to another verse by virtue of an identical word or phrase appearing in both verses. This only applies when such association of the two contexts is a matter of received tradition. 
It is not a procedure which is rooted in logical criteria that can be used at one's own initiative. Bro, that statement right there, <laughs> that clears up any kind of misconception that you could have about this because it you can already see it's not talking about piercing the ear like like we would think about piercing the ear and the fact that it went to this extent of saying don't look at this from a logical aspect look at this from the way the tradition was handed down so even though the text says you shall pierce his ear it's like but what's the tradition that's brought down with this because it's not the logical understanding, which now makes more sense about the other insights that you're going to bring down. So, yeah, sometimes wow. what Rashi brings down is, is hidden while something else is revealed. See uh, my episode on the inner dimension Mishpatim from Rabbi Ginsburg's Torah commentary, The Inner Dimension. Nice. Well, you also had a drop like that tonight, too, earlier when you were talking about how when one thing is revealed, another is hidden. And then when the hidden is revealed, that which was revealed is now hidden. Exactly. That's amazing. Yeah. There's a very good premise when approaching these commentaries. Because when you I'm reading this on the surface. But something else is concealed behind it. But that signals to me that I need to search deeper. The minute he mentions Gezerah Shabbat, right away you should understand that it is alluding to other verses, other rabbinic literature, such as the Talmud, the Midrash, and so mm -hmm. forth. So this is a very important Talmudic principle of interpretation that the sages use quite a bit. And the, the statement you also made about as you study that you need to be willing to be in the place of where the, the revealing and the hitting the hidden are, are coming in and out of the picture. Like that's beautiful to me because it's like so many times you can like like I was referring earlier, you know, we talked previously and I was I was feeling like I was getting locked into like make sure it's not this or make sure it's not that, you know, and it's just like we got the hidden reveal interplay going on. And then now that we're rereading it again and discussing it, like it's even meaning something new to me now, like as it's, this is happening lifetime. So. Yeah. Um, as I was reading this, I suspected that I don't think, you know, that Rashi wasn't necessarily being literal here. Or staying on the Peshat, because again, the the Ramez and the Drash are hidden behind his words. Which we normally see Rashi as a Peshat. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, just when you think he's Peshat, he's not. <laughs> he can be very profound. This is the beauty of his commentary. Yeah. But yet, his command of the Hebrew language is almost without equal. Did you hear about the understanding when Rashi says, I do not know? It means he doesn't know how to translate it in a way that he can comment on it. That is like mind boggling to me. 
The beginning of wisdom is, I don't know. Wow. Cool. Okay, so if you can tie that with the Or HaKaim, or I don't know if you're finished, but... Um, there's a little more. Okay. I want to make sure to get this thought complete. Oh, yeah. So... As it says with regard to a, see, it's, it says here, and his master shall bore through his ear. And it says with regard to a Matsora. Footnote five, one who suffers from the disease of Zara'at, which puts the sufferer in a state of Tuma, ritual impurity, on the middle of the right ear of the one who is to be purified, footnote 6, Vayikra 14.14, just as further on in the context of the Metzora, the ear referred to is the right one. As the verse states explicitly, so to here the ear referred to is the right one. And something else just came to mind, another rumination. Is the leper Messiah. Mm -hmm. because he identifies with those who are afflicted with death. And the one that we have pierced. Yeah. And what is it about the ear that it should be bored? It's almost like he's saying, okay, I'm just getting out my little drill here, and I'm like going through your the lobe of your ear, mm -hmm. which is the common place for ear piercings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of all the organs of the body, so Rashi's asking the question, why this? Not anywhere else. Mm -hmm. So, the Tana of Rabban Yochanan ben Sakai said, this ear that heard at Mount Sinai. You shall not steal. And nonetheless, he went and stole. Let it be bored. This reason applies in the case of one who is sold into servitude by the court because of theft. And if he sold himself because of property, the following reason reasoning applies. An ear that heard at Mount Sinai. For the children of Israel are slaves unto me. See, and then um, there was a couple of footnotes above uh, Exodus 20, 13. Then footnote 8 is Sita Makilta. And then footnote 9, Vayikra 25, 55. Um, this whole thing has me thinking, you know, where is Messiah to be found in chains in Rome? Mm -hmm. um, it's as if he's also referred to as the leprous scholar as well. Yep. You know, and he was pierced for our transgression of Torah. 
Yeah, because it's we're acting out the the allegorical picture here of the servant who doesn't want to go back to being free with Hashem, like being Hashem servant. We rather subject ourselves to a servant of a servant. And so that's like our picture here that the the piercing happened because we rather transgress than walk in the freedom that Hashem gave us, you know? And so it's like a, a big old picture of like, all of us being pierced and like when the Mashiach was pierced, it's just, it's like that picture. Like that's crazy. I've never seen it that way before. Cause like, I always wondered like he's hanging there on the stake on a post on a beam and he gets pierced at his side, you know? And it's just like, what was that for? <laughs> it's like, Oh, we wanted to make sure he was dead. Uh, Pretty sure you already knew that. <laughs> so, wow. That's interesting. We, we, I, just, I just thought of Romans 7, 14, for we know that the Torah is of the spirit. But as for me, I am bound to the old nature, sold to sin as a slave. I don't understand my own behavior. I don't do what I want to do. Instead, I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I am doing what I don't want to do, I am agreeing that the Torah is good. But now, it is no longer the real me doing it, but the sin housed inside me. For I know that there is nothing good housed inside me that is inside my old nature. I can want what is good, but I can't do it. For I don't do the good that I want. Instead, the evil that I don't want is what I do. And it uses the word chafetz. Uh, like the word for desire. Like Hashem desired to make his Torah great and glorious. So the evil that is within us that's desirous, like the sin that's working there. She uses the word hafetz. Mm. Like hafetz chaim, he who desires life. Those who safeguard their mouth. Typically, if you're safeguarding your mouth, it makes it a lot easier to hear and be obedient. The desire of the Yetzir Hara to do evil. To not hear. To disregard Mount Sinai. Proverbs 28 verse 9. He who turns his ear from hearing words of Torah, even his tefillot is to'iva is detestable to Adonai. Yeah, it's unkosher sacrifices. Okay, so now it's clicking more about the whole, the piercing, because it's like we just read uh, the remiss about it being beyond what we would logically think it means. So this is good. I like this. I'm so glad we we got to have this time. <laughs> <laughs>
Amen, amen. <laughs> Yeah, I like this last part on this paragraph on Rashi. And he went and acquired a different master for himself. Let it be bored. Wow. It's almost like this may not be accurate, but it's a speculation on my part that this is what Christianity has done. They have chosen a different master for themselves. Yes. it's That's actually pretty accurate. It's like it's the, the, the pasuk of uh, you can't serve Hashem and money, which is mamon. And I think looking more at the definition of mamon and getting that down as opposed to just calling it money, because it's like you can't have two masters like obviously Hashem and money, like what, what would be the correlation there? But when you look at Mamon and what that is, which I guess we could, if we needed to, but just on the surface as where you just went, there's a difference between being obedient to Hashem's voice and hearing his mitzvot and like desiring them as opposed to going, maybe some of them I'll do, or maybe none of them I will do. You know, because again, we've been talking about obedience with the rumination this week. And how many mitzvot are given in this parsha? <laughs> and it's connected to the, the giving of the Torah, the Ten Commandments and everything, or Ten Words, Slika, Ten Statements. Um, so yeah, so when you look at that, it's a different, it's a different master. It's a different service, which I think goes with the Romans passage you read about I'm sold to my sin, sold to my slavery, sold to my death, as opposed to being sold to life, sold to obedience, so sold to the good. There's the tov, there's the ra. We see this in Devarim. You know, I said before you the tov and the ra, the life and the death, the curses and the blessings, you know, like choose life, choose good, choose the blessings. Wow. Amen. Um I was reading 70 Faces from Rabbi Trugman today because I saw a really interesting post on a trope that oh, appears. That only post in. is the Shalshelet. Shalshelet. <laughs> I have one word from that, and it just so happens to be in the very place that, I, that talks about the ear in the commentary, anthologized commentary in the Humash. Yes. Oh my gosh. Did you finish Rashi? No. You never finish Rashi, but you know. Did you finish that? I mean, I can, and I could save the really good one for after. <laughs> yeah, no. I'm just saying that as far as that thought on 21.6. Yeah. Um, so now he quotes the Tana uh, Rav Shimon expounded this verse as pleasantly as a packet of pearls. Wow. Or of spices, see Rashi the Kiddushin 22b, as follows Pearl of Great Price. When a man sees it, he sells everything to get it. Yep, don't cash your pearls before swine. Swine, yeah, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. <laughs> 
What makes a door and a doorpost unique among all the furnishings in the house that they should be involved in this commandment? The Holy One, blessed is he, said, the door and the doorposts that were witnesses in Egypt. Wow. When I skipped over the lintel and the two doorposts that the Israelites had daubed with the blood of the Korban Pesach. Wow. Denying the, the sacrifice. And what happened, what does the writer of Hebrews say regarding this? Um, it, is, it should be read, of course. Yeah. Um, Let me see if I can get over there. Hebrews 10. 28. Someone who disregards the Torah. Here we go. Here we go again with disregarding the Torah. Of Moshe is put to death without mercy on the word of two or three witnesses. Think how much worse will be the punishment deserved by someone who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, who has treated as something common, the blood of the covenant. This Parsha talks about the blood that Moshe splashes on the altar and the yep. people to yeah, ratify the, the covenant. Yeah, yeah. Which made him holy. And who has insulted the spirit, the giver of God's grace? We're just reading Romans 7 14. Mm -hmm. For the one who the one we know is the one who said, Vengeance is my responsibility, I will repay. And then said, Adonai will judge his people. It's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Wow. So the mammon has to do with uh, value, value and wealth. So like the riches of this world, the lust of the eye, the pride of life. It's a different kingdom. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, how many times... I mean, the church thinks that they're they're the new Israel. Yeah, that's been said, and that's like whoa, <laughs> which is part of supersessionism and replacement theology. See last week's rumination for that. <laughs> Absolutely, rumination oh, yeah. seventeen. What exactly are the ten words? Right. And think about all the blood that they have spilled over the last couple of millennia. Yeah. Because they they accuse the Jewish people of being Christ killers. Mm -hmm. These are the very same people who claim to know Messiah, claim to walk with him, and yet they trample on the covenant and the promises that were given exclusively at the time to Israel alone. Right. 
because as the sages point out in Avodah Zarah, all the nations had their opportunity. Yeah. Even the commentary in Avodah bears it out. Yeah. Everyone had their chance. They turned it down. And that's where we get this week's parasha. We will do and we will hear. Israel agreed to do without even hearing a single word of this Torah. Wow. Again, the rumination for this week, which is greater, lip service or obedience? Wow. And we even vocalized it, <laughs> that uh, obedience is greater than lip service. But we did that through lip service, which is funny. <laughs> Yeah, it is interesting, you know. It's kind of a paradox in a way. Yeah. Here we are speaking words of Torah, but it's really not lip service because mm -hmm. we're honoring the one who gave of his very essence at Har Sinai. I mean. Because Israel was entrusted with it. Stephen says it in Acts chapter 7. To whom were given the oracles, plural, which means both the or the written and the oral Torah. Right. Um, so does this so move into the Shalshelet, or is there a footnote? Actually, there's two paragraphs left with Rashi, and then I'll move to the, the Shalshelet. Perfect. So continuing with Rashi, See, after the Corbin Pesach, footnote one, yeah, by Ikra 25.55, and I said, for the children of Israel are slaves to me. Uh, same verse I did. Implying they are my slaves and not slaves of slaves. Footnote hmm. two, they are to be slaves to God alone and not slaves of other people who are themselves slaves to God. What do we see in our societies today? People are slaves. Wow. Governments wow. want you to be slaves to them. Wow. This is one of the core tenets of communism, by the way. Dude, disconnect. And now you have, and here's the other thing, though. You have the World Economic Forum saying you will be poor and you will be, and own nothing and you will be happy. Sounds like slaves. As if they're the givers of Parnassa. But, but you and I both know very well that Hashem is the one who grants his goodness to us, though we don't merit it. Well, he just gives it. And the interesting thing about the word Parnassa can be broken down into two words, par, which means bowl, and ness, which means miracle. Bro, seriously? Because that's what got corrupted to become the part of sin, like the 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 bull of sin in the wilderness. Wow. We turn also our the, our scene. the eagle Zahav, the het ha eagle. Wow. Um, 
Okay. The other thing about par is that we should also offer the bowls of our lips in praise to him for all the goodness that he bestows upon us. All the rakamim, all the hased. Right. So you would take the par with the samik from the nest, because par nesa, and turn par with the samik in it to saper, which is like to declare. Like the heavens declare, hashemayim mesaperim, kibod el. The heavens declare the glory of God. So even through our parnasal, we can actually declare Hashem's miracles, Hashem's blessing, Hashem's abundance. Amen. Which reminds me of another word that can be broken down is bitakon. You have tov and hing within that word. And the total gematria for that word is 75, which is also the gematria for Kohen. Wow. Beautiful. So now this last paragraph on uh, Shemot 21.6. Actually, there's a little bit more left on. See, they are my slaves and not slaves of others, uh, despite which this person who wants to extend his term of servitude went and acquired a different master for himself. It's fitting that his ears should be bored in their presence. Kiddushin 22b. So he's really drawing on Kiddushin 22b here quite a bit. Right. Okay, so, and he shall serve him forever. This means until the Yovel year. Or perhaps this is incorrect and the verse means only, only forever in accordance with its usual meaning. <laughs> <laughs> So he's asking the questions. He's, it's almost like he's saying he doesn't know, but yet he does. Right. To teach us otherwise, the Torah says, he always defaults to the Torah. This is why I like Rashi, you know? Yeah. And you shall return, Shuva, each man to his family. Now here, okay, I mentioned a, a messianic overtone. This happens to be one. What did Yosef and Miriam do after uh, Yeshua was born? Uh, they went to the temple. Uh, Yosef had to actually no. It was before Yeshua was born because Yosef had to return to his native um, for the census. Yeah, yeah, for the census that uh, Caesar Augustus had instituted, uh, recorded in Luke chapter one. Mm -hmm. So that would be a connection there. Returning back to his, his place. Yeah, to his uh, ancestral home where his family, you know, his descendants were. So you mean to say... Or ancestors, I mean. Yosef's place of his habitation that he would have to return to just so happens to be Bethlehem which is apparently where Ben or uh, David's place was. 
which actually brings up another Pasuka, which brings up the fallen Sukha of David. Oh, man. Another connection of Yosef and David. See hmm. footnote 4, Baikra 25.10, the verse refers to the freeing of slaves. See Rashi there. Wow. This tells us that 50 years are referred to as forever. So forever means 50 years. And I was actually saying that 50 years basically alludes to Leolam. Wow. And this, oh my gosh. This is why the source is that there are something like 85 jubilees for the Alam Haba, which is the world to come. Which is the Olam Haba? Because it's like from from Jubilee to Jubilee, like these cycles within themselves. So the forever meaning, like within the cycles of the Jubilee. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I love you know what it. else I just thought of that I read from Ginsburg is that when. The missing Bob on Leolam has been commented on. Oh, yeah. I don't remember at the top of my head the, the passage, but when the Bob is missing, the pronunciation is Leolam, which means concealed. Wow. Meaning this is concealed. Not that he should work for him an entire 50 years. Rather, he works for him until the Yovel year. Whether it is close to the time of the purchase or whether it is far. Lakilta to Kiddushin 15a, the verse does not mean that the slave should work for 50 years from the date when he was sold, even if the Yovel year falls within that period. And that is the conclusion of Rashi's comment on Shemot 21.6. Okay, if I could just append this to that uh, as you transition to the Shal Shelet. This is Sephirat HaOmer Infinity from Ladder of Jacob bringing down the Leviticus passage and also the Deuteronomy passage, chapter 15.2 says, in this year of Yovel, every one of you is to return to the land he owns. He is Here is now the Shemitah, or here's how the Shemitah is to be done. Every creditor is to give up what he has loaned to his fellow member of the community. He is not to force his neighbor or relative to repay it. Here's the whole forgiveness of sins to declare the year of Hashem, the passage um, that Admor Yeshua read at the synagogue on the Shabbat when he read when he made Aliyah. Uh, he was reading from the scroll of Yeshayahu. And it says, because Hashem's time of remission has been proclaimed. Oh, my goodness. This is great. OK, so going on, he says this is a powerful message from Rob Asher Brander that this is a powerful message of Yovel, which is the Jubilee. Each seven-year Shemitah sabbatical cycle represents a rung, a new level achieved within the world, while Yovel 
which follows the seventh Shemitah year, represents the dawn of a completely new world. Hence, while we're talking about the world to come, it's a completely new world. It's through the seven-year cycles. It's through the Shemitah. This is where Daniel even comes into place, seeing how everything plays out to get out of exile, going through the tribulations and all that from Revelation, and all to land on Zohar, Volume 1, 124b, the whole drop that Yeshua says that uh, in, in John 8, 34-36, I may not tell you everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. A slave does not live in the house forever because you got to go back home during their jubilee. A son remains forever. If, therefore, the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. So Zohar says... This is through the mystic influence of the Vav, which again, if it's not there, it's a concealment. But if it's there, it's a revealing. Who is always in readiness to pour on it blessing? And who is the son of freedom or the son of the Jubilee who obtains for slaves their freedom? That's the Vav. He is a Sion of the supernal world and the author of all life, of all illuminations and all exalted states. Conclusion. Now we're really getting somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Thank you for reading. That's the thing. I, always when I come to this Parsha, I know that there are definite messianic overtones or undercurrents yeah a, a messianic consciousness if you will because you know reading Rashi carefully as i did a lot of those things came to mind and boom they helped you out and you and you went right to that source you know to reaffirm you know Sometimes that's you just gotta talk it out yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know um, but then we have this um, Shayla Shet on Vaikra 823 and I was looking at my telegram today and I noticed that Rabbi Trubman uh, Shlita posted from 70 Faces on the chapter on the tropes Right? I was like, this, fruits of the this, orchard? What are you doing in 70 faces? <laughs> <laughs> this particular trope only appears four times in the Torah, making it a rarity. The interesting thing about this trope is that it has an up and a down tonal range. Wave. It's like, it's like a zigzag. It goes the, 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 like that. And then you come back down like this. Uh, just like that. So it shows up on the word Vaishakat. And the commentary on this verse. Tanuk Ozen Hayam Hayamanit. The middle part 
of Aharon's right ear. This is the tragus, i.e. the skin-covered projection in front of the external ear, meaning this, the lobe. Mm -hmm. Rashi on 14.14 and Exodus 29.20. According to Rav Sayadaya Da'om, it is the earlobe. See also Rambam, commentary to uh, Negaim 14.9. Uh, Kafik edition. The Hafez Kaim comment to Sifra Metzor Perik 3 writes that the ear can be viewed as three concentric circles. The outermost circle is all soft flesh, right here. Just inside is a circle of cartilage, right here. And at the very center is the opening, the ear canal that leads to the middle and inner ear. Three the tanuk. circles. Oh my gosh. The tanuk of our verse and of 1414 is the cartilage. Although this ritual, uh, Geziret, uh, scriptural decree, as it it has a homiletic lesson that applies to everyone. The blood upon the ear symbolizes that the Kohen should always listen and obey God's commands. And this is on the cartilage? So that's the middle circle. Yes. Normally we pierce the outer circle where the lobe is. So this is actually talking about like piercing more into the ear. Yeah. My goodness, this illumination right now. Thank you, Hashem. <laughs> Amen. Baruch Hashem. Okay, so the hand is the organ that grasps things, and that is active. So the blood upon the thumb symbolizes that the Kohenim should actively carry out his will, and the foot is the organ of movement, so the blood on the big toe symbolizes that the Kohanim should always move with alacrity to serve God. Rav Abraham ben Ha Rambam. Wow. That is incredible. And that's the verse that has the Shalshalit on it. Okay, notice it says three concentric circles, the earlobe, your thumb, and your big toe. <laughs> Because we were just talking about the three parts of the ear, but it's like, well, that's the ear, the thumb, and the foot. And you're just like, wait, what? So the three parts of the ear are a mess for the other parts of the body. Yeah. And that's what gets pierced. And blood is on it. Oh, my gosh. I thought that was amazing. And then those are all on the sides of your body. And hence, he was pierced in his side. And then the whole blood and water coming out of him, that's connected to the offering of the Metzora because you have the, the birds that are slaughtered, which are the two Mashiachs, by the way. One is dies through the slaughtering. The other one is covered in that, and it goes free. So that's likened to the two Mashiachs because the Mashiach is called a bird. Then you have that's done over a spring of water. 
And in that area, it was near a garden where the Akira of the Mashiach happened. And so basically it was offered up over a spring of water. <laughs> so like all of these, the overtones are definitely coming into the picture. So. Oh boy. And I just thought of Yokanon three and the master's conversation with Nick Moon. Yeah. You must be born of the water and of the spirit. Yes. Otherwise you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about a change in status. Right. From Tomei to Tahor. You can't enter the kingdom in an impure state. There is a footnote on that. Entering the kingdom of heaven. It says, as we found in the Talmud Shabbat 31a through b. Everyone who follows the Torah, but does not have fear of heaven, he is like a treasurer entrusted with the inner keys, but not the outer keys. How will he enter? The Torah is likened to the inner keys, for the Torah and performing the commandments is the main key. However, in order to come to the goal of the Torah and the commandments, good attributes are required. Woe to him who has no courtyard, but makes a gate in order to enter. In other words, woe to the man who has no fear of heaven, yet still engages in Torah study. He must first prepare a place in which the Torah can be upheld. I go to prepare a place for you, right? <laughs> uh, he must prepare that place in which the Torah can be upheld. That is, he must purify his heart through the fear of Hashem and good attributes. Then the Torah and the good attributes will together Qualify him to enter the kingdom of heaven. So when we're talking about the kingdom of heaven, it's the fear and the love. Like we say, to, to unify uh, Hashem's name in fear and in love so that we enter into the kingdom. So that declaration we pray with our commandments, like for the sake of the unification of the name of the Holy One, blesses he. Like that's entering into the kingdom. That's how you do it. These are answers I never had when I was in church. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh no, absolutely. I mean, oh my gosh. If you just I can't tell you how many times kingdom. I've asked pastors questions and they just didn't have an answer. Wow. So you know, it, how, the the way the truth and the life, like and the thing about it is, is that Everyone thinks that their pastor is so awesome. Something my wife and I always question. Why are you practically deifying your pastor? That's idolatry. He's just a man. Well, we if don't he was truly, if he truly right had Hokma, if he truly had Emunah, he would say, I don't know, but I'll search for an answer. Yeah, that's what Moshe uh, did. In my entire tenure in Pentecostalism, I'm sure you could testify to this as well, that you never heard a pastor say that. No. Not one time. And yet, no one, no lay person that I know, other than myself and my wife, actively take responsibility for our emunah and actually 
search the scriptures, which is something our master says, search the scriptures for in them, you will find that they testify in me. But also in Yochanan 5, he says, I am coming in my father's name and you don't receive me. If someone else comes in his own name, him you will receive. And the secret of that verse is the father is the Torah. Coming in the name of a different master is basically what's happening. Yeah, it's just like Rashi says here, and he acquired a different master. Makes sense now. Okay. So what you were reading before was a nice segue into the inner dimension. Nice. Uh, uh, Ginsburg. Right. Uh, Jewish law and the secret of the finite. This is why we need to study Halakha. This is why we need to get as good as we can get at, at Halakha. Yeah. Because we bring down the infinite into the finite. So that's, uh, <laughs> you have that episode on your podcast. Did you post it there or you want me to post it on this one too? No, everything I record, I post on mine as well. Okay, cool. Well, could just double it. Because <laughs> hey, I, 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 I want to get the word out there. You know, these are words of Torah that need to go out. We, you know, yeah. I always, I've always said and maintained that we can't keep it to ourselves. Right. Know? So then we can say to those listening to this uh, installment of the rumination, please refer to the inner dimensions for this week that is previously recorded. But the gist of it is that we do need to study Halakha because that's how we bring the infinite to the finite. So it's definitely worth the, worth the listen. Yeah. I would also note that for those who are just starting out learning about Halakha, uh, we recommend from art school in Masora, the Kitsura Sokana Week. Beautiful. That will get your feet wet. It's not too difficult to understand. You won't be overwhelmed. It's a good starting point. And if you need training wheels, please refer to Master Plan by <laughs> R.E.A. Carmel. And Handbook of Jewish Thought. Yep. So don't have to be scared. If I could, I'd like to share the uh, Rabbi Pavanov insight from Garments of Light, Volume 2, because this really speaks about how we need to be obedient to the mitzvot and understand that there's actually a hidden behind the revealed. So for instance, we have the Vilna Gaon teaching on Exodus 21, 23 through 24, where it says, you shall give a life for a life, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And this is known as the law of retaliation in the Latin Lex Talionis. And the Vilna Gaon says, or he had a beautiful way of proving the Torah never meant to retaliate. It says, but this is financial. Rem wow, that's an interesting word. Remuneration. In, in Hebrew, the verse literally says, an eye under an eye, which is ayin tachat ayin. The word for eye, ayin yud nun, 
which is ayin, it says where the first letter is under, i.e. alphabetically before it. So what's before the ayin? The letter peh. What's before the letter yud? The letter kaf. And what's before or under? In other words, not before. The, what comes after? Because it's ayin, peh, yud, kaf. There we go. And what's after the noon, you have the samic. So you have a pay, a kaf, and a samic. These letters spell the Hebrew word kesif, which literally means money. So these letters are the letters that are under the ayin, yud, and the noon. You have the letters for kesif. And it says, thus, when the Torah says, I under an I, it secretly hints. So the revealed Hence, at the concealed, that this means monetary compensation. So, the reason why I wanted to bring this up is because what we talked about earlier, and the the whole thing with the obedience to the Torah, it's it's deeper than what the eye perceives. When you say you want to be obedient to Hashem, yes, there are surface level things. Don't kill people, don't steal things, don't get an attitude with your mom and dad, all those kinds of things. I mean, it's a little deeper than don't get an attitude, but like there's things behind that. There's things under that. And again, when you study the halakha, this comes out, right? So it goes on to say in the garments of light that there's a code of Hammurabi. And in 1901, the archaeologist Gustave Jacquier made a monumental discovery while excavating around the ancient Persian city of Susa, a massive stone still with 44 columns of text written in ancient Akkadian language. By the following year, the still had been translated it was a legal code composed of 282 laws. So you think the Torah mitzvot 613, and then you think about the seven commandments given to the non-Jews, but then it's just like, well, why these non-Jews over here got like 282 laws? And then you look at the American Constitution and the legal system, and we got like laws within laws and ordinances and all this kind of stuff. Like everyone knows there's things that we need to be obedient to. You can't just walk around and say there's no law. But anyway, the reason why that's important, it says this dates back almost 4,000 years. Remember, our tradition is like 3,500, I think, right now, uh, back to Sinai. So this is even before that, which is crazy. So before the Torah was given, there's a province of people that had 282 laws written in Akkadian. And it says, this uh, goes back to the Babylonian king Hammurabi. The code begins with a brief legendary history of Babylon. So before giving the laws, they start with a history lesson. Before the Torah laws are prescribed, Hashem begins with a history lesson. Before telling us what the mitzvot are, he's like, who created the world? Who created the universe? 
because that's important when you find out, you know, like Rabbi Trugman brought that down from, I think it was Rashi saying, you know, the Torah should have started with the first commandment, but he's just like, I'd rather tell you about the fact that I own all this. So when I make a commandment, you should know who's, who's commanding it. So anyway, even the people of Babylon knew that under King Hammurabi. So it says the most notable law of the 282 is 196 says, if a man put out the eye of another man, his eye shall be put out. And uh, so, yeah, he uh, he doesn't go into the fact that, you know, bring it back to and here in Mishpatim. But uh, I just think it's interesting that eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, that's in the Hammurabi code. And so all that to say is that when it comes to obedience, there it, there are mitzvot that we're supposed to be obedient to Jew and non-Jew alike, all mankind. You know, in this week's Torah portion, it really breaks down, you know, the civil uh, obedience and the justice of the society that needs to take place. So that's all I got there. I think I remember studying about the Code of Hammurabi in history class in school. Yeah. Most people did, you know, at least in, in our day. <laughs> Yeah, I I vaguely remember, but I don't know if we devoted a whole section of class to it. Yeah. Um, Any other thing? That reminded you... me of um, something from the Midrash says. Mm -hmm. It quotes several um, tractates about um, Roman emperors that ask, um, I think it was Rabbi Akiva. You know about the creation of the world and the universe. You know, so you, basically the point being a history lesson. So the Torah is not a history. Ah, nice. There's a hit. There's history in it, but it's not a history book. Yeah, um, that's how the commentary in the Humash puts it on the very first verse of the Torah. You know, really, that's what this whole episode has been about, because we've been talking about like what it seems like it is, but it's actually not that. <laughs> and it actually says we begin the study of the Torah with the realization that the Torah is not a history book, but the charter of man's mission in the universe. Thus, in his very first comment. Rashi cites Rav Yitzhak, who says that since the Torah is primarily a book of laws, it should have begun with the commandment of the new moon, Exodus 12, 2. The first law that was addressed to all of Jewry as a nation. He explains that the reason for the Torah's narrative of creation is to establish that God is the sovereign of the universe. He declared to his people the power of his works in order to give them the heritage of the nation, Psalm 111.6. If the nations accuse Israel of banditry for seizing the lands of the seven nations of Canaan, Israel can respond 
the entire universe belongs to God. He created it. He granted it to whomever he deemed fit. It was his desire to give it to them. And then it was his desire to take it from them and give it to us. As Rambam notes, even after reading how the world and its central character of men came into being, we still do not understand the secret or even the process of creation. Rather, the work of creation is a deep mystery that can be compared only through the tradition transmitted by God to Moshe. And those who are privileged to be entrusted with this hidden knowledge are not permitted to reveal it. What we do know is that Adam and Hava, the forerunners of humanity, had the mission of bringing about the fulfillment of creation by carrying out God's commandment. They failed and were driven into exile. There's something really interesting from the Zohar on that one. And it says, Vayi Goresh et Ha'adam. And he drove them out. It doesn't say, notice, it doesn't say that Hashem or Elohim drove them out. It says Adam, because you have the makef preposition et, which is untranslatable, it means nothing, mm -hmm. but yet it encompasses the entire Aleph bed. Uh, Adam, so it's as if Adam cast out the Aleph top. Wow. From Gan Edom. Which resulted in him being cast out. Mm -hmm. He was set, he deliberately separated himself from the letters of creation. And this is Daniel Matt really explained this so beautifully. I mean, Go look it up on YouTube. It was fantastic. And just like his, how the Zohar on verse, on the first verse of the Torah, Breshit Barah Elohim. So here's the thing, is that this is one case where the Zohar is being literal in its commentary on the Torah. Because... Mm -hmm. Typically, the letter bait is translated in, but it can also be translated with. With beginning created Elohim. Right. Elohim in the Zohar is referred to as a palace, denoting space, time, and matter. What is this is obviously pointing to something greater than mm -hmm. Elohim. Now, this sounds heretical, it sounds crazy. But if you think about it, it is pointing to the nameless, the formless, the timeless, and so. Because Elohim denotes time, right. space, and matter. Right. It's also Elohim Hateva, 
the God of nature, which is the level of understanding that Pharaoh of Egypt had an understanding of. That was his level of understanding, which is part of the reason why you see the ten plagues. Is to let Pharaoh know the imminence of Ain Sof in the physical space of creation that it, or androgynously speaking, mm -hmm. is in control of everything because everything is an emanation of Keter, the divine will. And this is what the Zohar brings. This is. This is one of the secrets to this commentary from Rav Ginsburg when it says Jewish law and the secret of the finite. Making a palace for that which is outside of time and space. Why the uh, inside of the Mishkan or inside of the temple, either way in the Holy of Holies, that space was bigger than it actually could contain. That's where you went from the earthly into the heavenlies. So yeah, yeah and it makes sense. Yeah. And it's like that's why yeah. it says, "What space does Hashem inhabit since the destruction of the temple? The four cubits of Halakha." <laughs> so what I'll do is I'll, I'll read this so hard because I have it up. Okay. With this beginning, the unknown concealed one created the palace. This palace is called Elohim. The secret is Elohim. With beginning created God. Zohar radiance from here all commands were created through the mysterious expansion of this point of concealed radiance. If created is written here, no wonder it is written, God created the human being in his image. Genesis 1.27. Now, this is also connected to the fact that um, when it talks about, I was a tool in the hand of the master craftsman, like the Proverbs verse. And how it talks about in uh, the letter to the congregation at Colossae that in him all things were created, you know, and talking about the preeminence of the Mashiach. Like that's the secret as well attached to this verse is that with Rashid, you know, which is called Yisrael, which is called the firstborn. Mashiach is also called the firstborn. And so this was the tool of creation, not the creator himself. Because sometimes that gets kind of like blurred and people go, oh, yeah, so he created everything. <laughs> it's like, no, the Ain Sof and to with Rashid and then the palace and then the heavens and the earth. Like, <laughs> I mean, when I first watched that video, it literally elevated my consciousness. Yeah. It really did because now you, you just, once that happens, you just can't go back. You can't perceive of going back to 
the place that you were before. Yeah. And this is something me and Mahabhuta were talking about today regarding dogma. Dogma is nothing more than a trap. Going back. You know, for some, it's, you know, a security blanket because they listen to men who are attempting to explain some of the deepest mystical secrets of the Torah and just falling ever so short, not even coming close to the mark, that they wind up corrupting the understanding and thereby leading many astray down the wrong path. You know, and it's unfortunately, it's just another aspect of lip service. Yeah. That the dogma must... takes away the action? Oh my gosh. I mean, in Christian thought, because it's all in love with Neoplatonism, just all I have to do is think it. And you know about this. Yeah, it's think it, don't up, do anything. It's all up here. Just leave it it's, not, it's not, you know, me taking action like grabbing this and putting it there. Uh, <laughs> you know, and this is why Martin Luther has such a problem with James's letter. Yeah. Because he thought of nothing but straw, especially when James writes, you say you have emunah, I will show you my Eminem by my works. Right. Because it cannot exist without works, without obedience. How can trust be sprout or grow and deepen without action? I didn't know I'd find Cain in the eyes of Hashem. How did he find grace? Because in the very next verse, in, the Torah, in, in Noah, the Torah clearly, explicitly states that Noah was a Zadi. And he that he walked with Hashem. Yeah, the righteousness. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who does righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. That is 1 John 3, 7. One of my favorite verses from that letter. <laughs> Make no mistake. Lip service is completely meaningless. If you come away with anything from this episode, it should be that. That Hashem smiles upon you when you're obedient to him, when you hear his voice and do what he says, rather than what some man is telling you, not to be a slave of a slave. Rashi's comment. Me? We're not slaves to slaves or other men's whims or how they perceive the world, but rather the Holy One, blessed be he, is the one that we're slaves too and this is a good thing because he is the author of life he bestows life he bestows goodness he takes care of us he only wants what's best for us because we are his creation 
Mm-hmm. Does the clay say to the potter, form me in this manner? Yeah. yeah. Good. It's, Good concluding point. Um, but anyway, I do recommend, um, for brevity's sake, that again, I, I mentioned this before, but see the uh, segment on the inner dimension. Um, okay. But for now, we will turn to the Orkhaim on the very verse that I just quoted. All right. Okay, so the Orkayim goes a little deeper on this verse. So Orkayim turns to verses 5 through 6, which state, But if the servant shall say, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I shall not go free. Then his master shall bring him before the judges and shall bring him to the door or to the doorpost. And his master shall bore through his ear with the owl and he shall serve him forever. Regarding what the Torah says, but if the servant shall say, I love my master and my wife and my children. Here the Torah tells us about the service of a Jewish servant of Hashem who is so passionate about serving his creator that he still has a desire to serve the master even after his physical strength has been sapped and it is time for him to leave this world. This is what the verse alludes to when it says that the servant declares at the end of his term, I love my master, i.e. Hashem, my wife and my children. With wife, and children referring to the soul. And because of this love, the servant goes on to declare, I shall not go free, meaning that he does not want to leave this world to be free from the mitzvahs like the dead. This demonstrates a yearning and desire for closeness to the master. To such a person, the master promises that he will be given the title Servant of Hashem, thereby having his wishes fulfilled. As the verse says in Tehillim 21.3, you have granted him his heart's desire. But this will not occur now in this world, for his time in this world has come to an end. Rather, as the Torah goes on to say, he shall serve his master forever that is, in the world to come, when Hashem will choose him over angels to be for him a faithful servant. This reminds me of the uh, parable of the talents mm -hmm. that Yeshua gave. You know, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. For me.
Indeed, we find that this is what happened to Moshe, whom Hashem called, endeavoring 34.5, a servant of Hashem after he died. And footnote 112, this indicates that he continued serving Hashem even after he died, see Sota 13b. Because he yearned to continue living so that he could enter Eretz Yisrael and serve Hashem and fulfill his mitzvahs there, see Sota 14b. As for what the verse says, and his master shall bore with an owl, you will find in the numerical value of Matria of the word Marzea, which equals 400, an allusion to the 400 coveted worlds that are given to the righteous as reward for their righteousness, as written in the Zohar, Volume 3, 288a. I love how our time just goes into the Zohar and is like, okay, and now I'm back. <laughs> and when the verse says he shall serve his master forever, we can say, in addition to what we wrote above, that it means that Hashem will consider it as though he lives for the rest of time and perform his holy labor throughout. For a good thought is counted by Hashem as a good deed, Kiddushin 40a. The word Leolam forever also alludes to a Kabbalistic idea that is known to those who are privy to the wisdom of the Holy One. Note 115C, Zohar, Volume 2, 115A. That is Orkaim on 21.6. All right. Rukashem, this is a pretty good amount, so we'll end it here and uh, pick up next time. Bezrat Hashem. Mashiach now.